All right. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mental Toughness and Body Show. My name is Rob Evans. I'm your weight loss coach, health strategist, and internationally published author, helping take your life and your business, your health, fitness, mindset, and body from where you are right now to where is it you want to be. As you can see on screen here, I have an amazing guest with me today, Jim, Jim Penman. How are you going today, Jim? Oh, I'm wonderful. I'm really good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, I don't want to introduce you because I want you to be able to tell us because it's probably your first name that's more famous than your last name uh, <laughs> because you're you're the the Jim from Jim's, uh, what started as Jim's Mowing. Um, so, Jim, why don't you tell us a little bit how you got started and how how the the franchise has evolved. I've got a whole bunch of questions to ask you in between. Well, I, I never intended to go into business. I intended to be an academic. I spent my 20s doing a PhD in history, trying to work out the reason for the rise and fall of civilizations and came up with an approach that I thought was valid, but it needed a lot of money to take it further, mostly in terms of biological um, funding for research. And that was difficult because I was uh, completely flat broke, deeply in debt. So I took my part-time student job mowing lawns in, and, and went full-time. And then I put on subbies. And, and a few years later, in 1989, I, I franchised. Um, we've currently got just under 5,000 franchisees in Australia and uh, New Zealand and Canada. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you've said that so humbly, but you, know, you are the, um, the Australia's biggest uh, franchise operator. Um, I was uh, curious as to uh, you know, how long were you like running your own business before you said, no, I'm going to take this to a franchise model? Well, uh, when I was a student, I was I bought them. I actually I was gardening from 1971. So 70 the year before I started university, I had a gardening business and I bought a mower about 1975. So by the time 1982 came along, I'd already been doing this thing for more than a decade in a sense. Yes. Um, but I, after I started full time, I think I started employing workers, you know, within within a year or, or two. It was quite fast. Yes. And I put on subcontractors initially, and then used to build up and sell lawn mowing around. So by the time I came to launch the franchise, I already had a, well, I probably had about a dozen guys working for me in one way or another. So yeah. yeah. So what what was the the reason for going to the franchise model and not just staying, you know, just local if you like and working with those subbies? <laughs> To be honest, mainly fear. It was because um, I had this little business building up and selling lawnmower routes, which was going okay. And I paid off my debt and bought a house and stuff. And that was nice. And then this company called VIP came in from Adelaide. Yes. They terrified me. They had 250 franchisees, interstate company. Yeah, wow. These guys will crush me like a cockroach. So I uh, first approached them about trying to join forces with them and help them to grow. And when they knocked me back, I decided I better try and compete with them. And, uh, yeah, right. Oh, that's interesting because if somebody had have asked me, I would have said, oh, no, Jim's was around first. No, you would think so too. So 250 when I signed my first one, which was... And actually, when I started, somebody asked me how many franchises I might have one day. And I said, well, if it goes really well, I might have 100. So yes, my, yes. My expectations weren't all that massive at that time. A bit of a surprise it worked out so well. So I'm interested with... Um, so how long were you doing the mowing franchises before you made that decision to okay let's branch out into other things because you're in about like 45 different categories now would yeah, that be right uh, I, saying it was a decision is probably not quite correct um 
as in a lot of things at gyms, it wasn't actually my idea. I, I first of all, I had the idea of doing cleaning, but I thought, well, this this thing here, this is this is what I used to look like. This is me with a beard. Yes. And a hat. I used to wear a hat mowing lawns. Yes. And that's a that's a mowing image. That's a gardener, isn't it? Yes. And, and so Jim's cleaning obviously didn't because that could be a woman. I mean, who who want to who want to have a business with a guy with a beard and a hat and a gardening image on a woman who's cleaning houses? Yes. So I, I thought I'll develop this thing called Sunlight S U N L I T with little sprays and stuff. The same franchising system. So I sold a couple of franchises and completely failed. Couldn't find any work. So <clears throat> I ended up giving the money back. And then sometime later, somebody came to me, and that was just probably about 1992 or 93, something like that, fairly soon, and said, well, what about Jim's cleaning? And I said, well, it's not going to work because it's a, it's a garden image. And, and he said, well, you know, what if I do it in a sort of partnership? I said, oh, have a go. And yeah. it worked. So it was kind of a bit surprising. It wasn't my idea. A lot of, most of the visions we started weren't actually my ideas. Mostly people came to us to suggest it. Okay. So then you went from mowing to cleaning and then... Yeah, we've got you know, dog wash and, and fencing and all kinds of things come up after that and test and tag and pest control. And <laughs> I have a struggle trying to remember them all, actually. Yeah, so I'm sure like, because there's just so many of them. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. So is it a case of, like, I stand back and look at it and think, well, a franchise model, it's about systemization and making things as seamless as possible. And therefore, once you've got that model down pat, you can really apply it to... Uh, to any business is that the way yes you sort of except ours it? are very different service type businesses we had a go at, at um, health clubs at one stage and that was a disaster okay. it wasn't done under jim's name it's a different brand but we didn't understand it so yes. we do we do stick to service businesses that of the kind we understand see mowing and cleaning and pest control and dog wash are all very similar the person yes. calls up book a job in we quote all work the very much the same way but something like a site-based franchise or anything to do with food we just don't touch it's just it's just too different. You would not try and compete with the likes of McDonald's or Domino's or any of those. It's, it's, yes, they're too good at what they do. Yes, yeah, right. And so with the um, like with franchises, I know like historically, not all franchises have a very good like the franchise. Well, the way that I the feedback that I get, having walked worked in corporate life as well, and the business that uh, that I was in was a big organisation. They had franchise. Uh, ease work for them and there was a big perception by the franchisee that the only one really making the good money was the franchisor mm. and so how have you been able to I suppose flip that around so that people can say well how I guess this is a partnership we're in this together kind of thing uh, to give it build that different relationship yeah there's some good franchises around there are some absolutely appalling ones far worse than the public could possibly imagine and we know that from the inside um look it's got a lot to do with your personal passion i mean one of the things i've always done is i i think long term and, and my first priority is the welfare of my franchisees it's actually yes. it's actually at the bottom of my email when you got an email from me you notice at the bottom of that my first priority is the welfare of franchisees we're also passionate yes. about customer service we only sign franchisees and franchisors to be convinced will succeed. Well, that attitude that franchisees are number one over money, over everything, is something that gets driven in all the time. In training, I, I do the first two-hour talk. Anybody wants to be a friend, I've got to do that. They've got to listen to that talk. Yes. And, I, and I really press hard what that means, how tough we are, how hard it is, what responsibilities we have. 
we give our franchisees extraordinary rights. They have the right to vote out their franchisor, including me if I'm the franchisor. They can, they can um, veto changes to their own manual. They can change to a different franchisor. Okay. They can do the business as big as they want. There's a whole lot of things built into the contract and system that, that are just, legally they have very, very strong, and that was position, That's, that was there from the beginning. But a lot of it's just your attitude. You know, if you want the franchisees to succeed, if that's your top priority, then on the whole, they will. And, and a good example of that is McDonald's that, that um, I admire very greatly. They're, they're a really great company. And the interesting thing about McDonald's, as you probably know, that when they first started off, Ray Kroc made no money out of it. Yes. Because he spent so much effort in supporting his franchisees. In fact, he was making his, his income from the Mixmaster business that he had prior to starting McDonald's. Right. That's how, that's, how he, that's how he made a living. And his first franchises were millionaires before he even drew a salary from the company. So that, so that was the attitude that he had. He was just emotionally fanatic about his franchises making money. And I got the same drive. And because, of, because first of all, because of my influence and also because I get to choose um, the people that become franchisors in particular, that tends to be fairly widespread. I mean, let me give you one example of, of how this matters. We, I had a case recently where a woman approached me about a problem she had with the contract they were about to sign. Um, and she had some delays and stuff. And then I asked some questions and I found out that she was buying a franchise for her son. This was a mowing franchise who yes. was in his early 20s. And I asked why. And she said, because he can't find a job. And I immediately said to her, I will not sell your son a franchise. The franchisor who did this did the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. He should not. That is, a, that is guaranteed failure. He can't find a job. His mother's buying the business. We yeah. know that's going to fail. So I said no. And she got very upset with me. And she said, look, I wish I hadn't called you. And I said, it's the best thing you ever did. Yes. She said, what do I do with my son? And I said, well, I know franchisees in his area who really, really need work. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is to arrange for him to go out on the road with a couple of these guys. If he's good, he'll have a job. Yes. That'll be great. Now, you can imagine what happened. He was hopeless, absolutely yes. hopeless. Now, if this poor woman had invested the money into a franchise, she would yeah, have lost, lost it. it all. Yeah. The, the point about that was that the, the franchisor who made that decision to accept this guy did something that was grossly immoral by our standards. So when his franchise regional had come up from renewal shortly after, because it was a 10 year contract, we actually refused to renew. Yeah, now we allowed right. him to sell it and he made good money. He actually bought, sold it for a lot more than he bought it for. Yes. But the fact that he had allowed this young kid or his mother to buy a franchise, which he had essentially no possibility of succeeding was a gross breach of our ethical system. Yes. Now it's easy to, it would have been easy to sell that, that, that franchise. You would have made money from it short term, but you would have done the wrong thing because you would not have looked to the best interest of the person you're dealing with. Yes. Yeah. That's I'll... just an example, but that's the way you've got to think about it. If, you, if you're a franchise, you can never think of the money first. It's always the franchisees first. Yes. And, I, and that's why you're as successful as you are, because you're thinking about it differently and you're thinking about yeah. um, the end results and looking after the people. In, a, in the long run, you make more money doing it that way, but yes. you never ever, you're always going to think long term, never short term. And money can never be the major consideration. Of course, you've got to make money. Franchisees actually get really mad at me all the time, but you know why? I had a really, really angry franchisee ringing me this morning because we were making him attend meetings. 
he didn't want to attend meetings. And I yeah. said to him, this is the, this is the best That's time right. you spend in your business all year. It is the most valuable. We're talking eight meetings a year. He, we only have to attend six of them. Six meetings a year, six yeah. evenings, maybe a couple of hours. So you're talking 12 hours a year. And that's when you learn how to grow your business. And he yes. didn't want to go. And I said, you have to go or else you'll be made non-compliant and your fees will go up. And he got really angry and he said, didn't just prove you don't care about your franchisees. <laughs> well, to me, it shows that I did care about his yes. business because I wasn't going to allow him to do something, which is not same thing with customer service. Franchises get very angry about complaints sometimes. They say, you're causing me mental illness. And I said, yes, but if you give great customer service, we know from experience, you're going to be far more likely to report good income. You're going to stick around longer. We know that. I've got all the statistics to prove it. People yes. who leave on the whole, who fail, have, and, and the great majority of people do succeed, but those who fail tend to have poor customer service records. Yes, yes. Yeah, there's all. I mean, there's always an opportunity in any complaint, isn't there, to uh, to improve? Yes. Well, actually, our our colleague, when a complaint comes in, I'm the only person that can delete a complaint. Uh, you've either got to show me the complaint was wrong, which sometimes they are. You know, the customer says never rang. Well, at least I rang within two hours and I sent a text. Or more commonly, you go and do whatever you can to fix it. You go back, do the job again. You rebate. You refund the client. You do anything at all. Make the customer happy some way. Offer them a freebie. Do something. Make them happy. Yes. That's the lesson. And that drives it home. And as we've done that sort of thing, we've found that the, mm -hmm. the level of leads have risen dramatically. So far this year, 37% of leads are unserviced. We just can't cope with it. And we're giving wow. back. We're giving back more than a million dollars in advertising money to franchises. People can't spend it. So the leads are coming in dramatically. But of course, what that means is that most franchises are flat out, so they make good money. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. That is cool. Um, so tell me where where you are personally uh, right now. Do, is your focus now on say I don't know building relationships like on a day to day basis? Where like where's your like focus for the for the business and building it and so forth? Well, <laughs> thing is, Rob, I'm a pretty lousy manager. I'm not very good at doing very much at all. So what I tend to do is just stay in touch with a lot of people. Every franchisee has my direct phone number and email address. And yes. there's only 5,000 of them. Anybody can ring me anytime, day, evening, weekends. They've got problems, email me, and they do. Um, I do with a lot of complaints. I've actually, I chase up customers that have been bad looked after and worked out, trying to work out solutions to help them to be satisfied. Yes. I just spend time talking with managers about how to improve things and new ventures we're on and so forth. So it's really about building relationships with the, the franchisees and franchisors that you have working for you. Yeah. Well, because I don't know most of them very well because there's just too many. I, I know some of my franchisors quite well, but try to listen to what they want. You, you've got to keep your ear to the ground all the time because then you pick up things that are going wrong. And, and all, many times, I mean, there wouldn't be a week goes by that I don't pick up something from a franchisee and I say, well, this isn't right. Let's fix it. Let's do something better. Yes. Improve it. And are you good at innovating? So do you hear those things and think, okay, we need to look at this new technology or we need to resolve this systemically rather than, okay, let's rob, let's address your issue right now. It's like, oh, that's systemic. Let's have a look at some yeah. innovative solutions. <laughs> Actually, Rob, I'm pretty awful at almost everything, but the, one of the things I do do one is I'm very creative. I, I, I have spouting ideas. I drive people mad. I keep on coming and thinking, why don't we do it this way? Why don't we do this? Why don't you try that? 
and some of my stupid ideas turned to be quite successful in the end. So yeah, that's about so all that, I <laughs> So perhaps give us a bit of a, a perspective on like the team that you have around you to support you with all these ideas that you're throwing out there and driving people crazy. What What's your team look like? Uh, well, actually, the strange thing, most of my department heads are female. You know, we, we people having approached you about having a balanced sex ratio. I said, well, I have to fire a woman if I did that. Yeah. <laughs> balance it out that way. Um, my uh, Rocky, Rocky's a great guy. He's like, looks after the divisional support and so forth. He, he's um, got used to us in prisons, actually, um, he's an administrator. He's very, very good as a manager. He just organizes things. We've just taken back the call center and he's making sure it's done, done well, looking after support for people. We're just setting up a registered training organization and we talked about it just today. Okay. How are we going to make that work and expand it and use it to recruit franchisees, also from overseas. I've got a wonderful CFO, a lady called Cynthia. She is uh, very, very dedicated. She's, yeah, she's, nice. she's far more concerned about my money than I am, actually. Sometimes she's yeah, that's what you want. <laughs> incredibly honest, wonderful woman. She's also very innovative, too. We've just set up a, um, I mean, admin centre in, in the Philippines to look after some of the back office stuff, which is okay. pretty big. Also, she's um, built a financial system to get loans through to franchisees more easily. Okay. I've got um, Megan, who runs the um, system we call Jim's Plus, where we sell surplus leads. We've got so many surplus leads that it's very bad customer service, so we have a way of giving them to carefully screened external contractors. She does okay, that. that's, that's a good idea. My wife looks after um, SEO. She's very, very good on okay. that kind of thing. She's very detail-minded. We've got a very great CTO, a guy called Patrick, who's rewriting a lot of our software. We've made some appalling mistakes in software. We've just got the wrong systems in place. And he's yes. organizing a rewrite of that. So we've just got a lot of very good people around. Charlene, who runs the call center, she's, she's doing really well. Yeah, nice, nice. And so tell me, what would you say is um, the biggest mistake that people that go into... Uh, well, I suppose the biggest mistake that franchise alls make, but also um, like I work with some some smaller local businesses here and they are just starting to dabble into, like they've got like one franchise, for instance, and they want to get bigger. Well, I suppose let's divide into two parts. First of all, what would you say are the biggest mistakes that people make? Well, the biggest mistakes people make is looking after the money before the franchisee. Yeah. You just got to look, you just got to look at one thing. How can you make your franchisees into raving fans? What do they want? What do they need? And, and that applies in some different ways. That, that you, you know, what, what's, the, what's the best number of meetings? What kind of meetings? We've started, we've worked out, for example, you need eight meetings a year is optimal. More than that, no, no better effect. Less than that, that they, they do well. We've also worked out that it's good to have food with meetings. If you give them a pizza <laughs> or a barbecue, something that works better. We just discovered that fairly recently. People trying different things. So, something so simple. Yeah. In the beginning, we didn't understand meetings. One of the things we do now, we get our franchisors to ring franchisees regularly, at least once a month, but preferably once a week. We found that has a big effect. We found that even a one-minute call once a week is more effective than spending a half day once a year on business review. Yes. And, then you've got, and, and understanding too that, that, that a lot of um, success is not, franchises on the whole don't need to be taught how to do the job. What they need is a little bit of business help and support at times, but also emotional support, being part of a community, yes. part, part of a group. And what's yes. very interesting, which surprised me from the, what I understood from the beginning, 
is that we've got franchisees who, who have been paying franchise fees for years and they never take any leads at all. Even though we have plenty, yeah. we try and persuade them to because we've got too many leads, but they're happy and they like to be part of us. That, right. Yeah. yeah it's, that, it's that family culture. But I, I love what you say there because if you take care of well, your customers, in effect, uh, you know, your customers, your, your franchisees and your franchisors, then if you're always having that focus on them and you said something before about your CFO, uh, you know, making like them treating their money better than, you know, more carefully than if, if it was their own. Uh, our fees are actually quite modest. Our fees would average about 6% of turnover. They're not calculated that way. They're calculated as a lead fee, base fee plus lead fee. But the average franchisee, based on recent surveys, is just under $3,000 a week. And our fees would average about $750 a month. So it's about 6%. Right. They're not high fees. No. There's, a, there's enough. There's a good margin in there. But you don't, you don't want to maximize the profit. We also don't charge a lot for in-going to. And we tend to bring the fees down with time to what it costs to get into. We're trying to work out ways to make it more affordable to get into the business. Yeah, more attractive. Yeah, that's a, yeah. Yeah, that's good thinking. And so what would be I, I, kind of the what you've just said there is probably the uh, the first tip if you're going to say give people a couple of tips if they were setting up a friend and wanted to set up a franchise system, one, make sure you're looking after your franchisee is probably the first one. Yeah. People people want to be a franchisee because, franchisee because they want to make a lot of money. Yes. You want to be, you want to be a franchisee, so your franchisees can make a lot of money. That's the yes. key. If your franchisors, these make a lot of money, then in the end, you will make money, but that's never number one. Yes. So things like how much you charge initially, it's not a great idea to charge too much for a franchise. Our yes. franchises come down and down and down in value because first of all, these days, we don't need to spend a lot more advertising than we, than, as much as we used to, but also because it just makes it harder for somebody. It, it lumbers them with a higher debt. So you make a look at you we make very good money i'm actually i'm not nearly as i'm a lot more famous than i'm rich <laughs> say that because <laughs> i think that with nearly five thousand franchises i'd be very very rich and i'm not because it's a fairly limited stream but i do i do pretty well well i mean just um i think i saw that you're doing something like uh, out of all the franchises uh, something like 500 million a year is that is that accurate uh, it'd, be, it'd be closer to a billion these days a billion wow I well, mean, yeah, because so don't forget. Let's say we've got um, we've got uh, uh, just under five thousand franchisees, and the average and the median turnover is around about just under three thousand dollars a week. So if you figure that out, right. that's about yeah. seven hundred thousand dollars a year. But you've got quite a few franchisees who are making like a million dollars a year or two million dollars a year because yes. they're crazy businesses. So that kind of distorts the figure so it'll be close to a billion five hundred thousand that's for sure yeah wow but wow. that sounds like a lot of money too but don't we only get yeah of course well, well, you're well actually a, you're kind of large ones we get a lot less than six percent of that and then out of that comes all the the support and the advertising yes. and the customer and, and the call center and the we spend probably five million dollars a year on it development i mean there's a lot of costs coming out so there's a yes when you say it's a trickle at the end, I don't make feel sorry for myself. It's, it's not much by comparison to what goes in the other end. Yeah, but it's the, I guess it's a, the model that you've been able to set up to create a billion dollars of, um, you know, sales is just uh, phenomenal. But the thing but, I take most pride in though, like in our last, um, usually we, we, are, we do a franchise survey once a year and typically it's about 50% good income. We don't ask how much, we just ask how satisfied, good income, about 10% 
and um, poor income and the balance is satisfactory. Well, this last year, we're down to 8% poor income. Now that, that's a really, really, really powerful statistic. But if that one ever gets down to zero, then I'm going to be very happy. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So is that like the best way for you to, so obviously you're, you've created this real family environment and like you have eight meetings a year, you, you, everybody's got your contact details and stuff. I'm assuming there's a whole bunch of people that would be terrified to ever call you or whatever, but they're with those regular people that always do that. Um, the best way that you find to, or the strategies that you put in place to, um, I suppose, still make everybody feel like a family? Uh, like, do you, is there a lot of internal communication, like weekly, weekly things, or how do how do you achieve we send that out so newsletters, well? But they mostly don't read them. Yes, that's the problem. <laughs> so, that's part of the point of newsletters is if they if I put out a newsletter three times and say you, if you can't get to the client, you've got a text, and then they come back and said, oh, I should I tried to ring the client and I said, did you text this? No, no, we told me that. I said it's been in the newsletters. So you, you, if that's the reason you put, not because they'll read it, but because you can at least point out you tried to tell them. Yes. So, um, look, we do what we can. I, I wouldn't say every franchisee is a raving fan. I wish they were, but you know, not everybody's going to be happy with us all the time. A lot of people don't like me very much. They think I'm too hard. Okay. Commonly the case. And I can be fairly abrupt sometimes. I got a franchisee upset at me this morning because I yelled at him, which I shouldn't have done. It was bad of me, but I just got annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> he was accusing me of this and that, and I. Anyway, I have a bit of a temper, unfortunately, Rob. One, one of my many, many weaknesses. Well, I was I was going to get to some of those in a moment, uh, if you had any. Oh, oh I did one... weaknesses. I, I'll go on for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to uh, tap into the experience of COVID. And um, I, want to, I want to talk about you personally, yourself first, before we talk about the impact it had on uh, the franchisees and their mental health and, and so forth. What, what would you say you've learned about yourself over the last couple of years with COVID hitting? <sighs> Being more careful speaking to the media. <laughs> okay. I did an interview with Channel 7. I think I saw that. Well, I carefully explained why I thought that, that, that it was legal for our people to work based on the Department of Health and Human Services. I said that is the law of the land, not what the Premier says at a press conference. Yes. And then at the end of that, I also said, well, you know, and they said, well, what if they do go, go out and they get fined? And I said, well, they're, they're obeying the law. But if they do get out and get fined, then um, they, we'll pay the fine. And then yeah. that, because as far as I was going, I was confident that they would do what was doing was legal and they couldn't be fined for it. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't ever pay a fine. So that was the point I made. Now, what they did is they cut the interview and they took out all the part about me saying that we were believed that we were in, obeying the law and they just took out the part where I said if they get fined I'll pay the fine so it sounded as though I was trying to get people to break the law which I wasn't yes. yeah, yeah. So I learned from that that if you do an interview first of all with any if it's not live and I love live is better if you do yes. an interview it's not live you've got to put everything you need into a single sentence you can't yes. break it up and the second thing is if I'm going to be interviewed by anybody from the media I have somebody sitting there with a camera recording the recording exactly the what's thing. happening so we can we can do that we had that happen with current affair actually just just last week they did an interview about something and uh, i had somebody recording the whole session now as it happened it was a pretty fair interview and they did put in the stuff that i wanted yes. to say but at the same time you've got to be careful so that's one thing i learned for sure i've okay. also learned that just 
the power of, of publicity was just extraordinary. What, what um, I, I just think what, what uh, it was amazing too, you know, the, the, the lefties and the loveys and the woke media, nothing at all. You now, if 100,000 plus Victorians are out of work, not interest of ours, we couldn't give a stuff. They're only, they're only plebs. It was the, it was the, it was uh, News Corp. It was the uh, people like Sky News and, and uh, yes. that actually, that actually give the stuff about the whole situation and gave us good support. And I think put a lot of pressure on the state government to not to do such stupid things in future. Because my people yeah, well, are not and never have been a risk to public health. Yes. But, and we got that point across very well because towards the end of it, you know, about 95% was in favour. And, and people were saying, yeah, we agree with you. Why is it that an individual operator can't do something where a council worker's in groups can do it? Yes. You know, why can, why can you not have somebody come and wash your dog with no contact with you, but you're allowed to go into a, a grooming salon with dozens of other people? And that's okay. Yeah. How does that fit in with anything to do with infection? This is, so, and people got that point. And it was, it was a great experience, actually. In the end, it actually came out very well for us. And I think put great pressure on the government, but it was also good PR for us. Surprising. Yes. Didn't start out that way. After my first interview, two of my daughters wouldn't speak to me for months. They got so <laughs> angry. <laughs> oh, but, but I, had, I had dinner with one of them last night and we were laughing about it. But uh, <laughs> And from your, your own personal perspective and how you were able to manage yourself and uh, obviously the, you know, being forced to lock down and like having to deal with the media and stuff. How, did you did you find you get some personal growth from the whole situation? Look, personally, I'm extremely tough. My wife says I'm like one of those, you know, one of those plastic things that's got a weight in the bottom and you knock it down, just no, spring back up. Just like that. I, do, I do not. I, it was very hard, though, because I was hearing day by day from franchisees who were so desperate for, for not being able to work. And they said, Jim's, when's it going to stop? When's this going to be over? When can I go back to work? It wasn't just the financial pressure, though some of them were under, because some of us, like students, didn't have any income at all. Yes. There was one poor girl who had been threatened with eviction. We said, if you, if you get evicted, you come to us and, and we'll put you up at our conference centre for, for, yeah. for free. But people were giving her vouchers for meals and stuff. The other franchisees, they were wonderful. They were really, yes. really spectacularly great the way that some that people helped each other during that time but it was very hard it was emotionally difficult i personally know two people two men who lost their homes who lost their homes and their marriages as a direct result of that lockdown it was awful yeah and i guess to put this in perspective for the international audience i mean i'm based in melbourne you're based in a different part of melbourne as well and uh, with the the most locked down city in the world mm, and just crazy, crazy. It, made, it made no sense i think we had i lost count but i think we had at least six lockdowns i think um for extended periods of time lost count of how many days but like 250 days or something mm. and yeah the the impact that i saw it have on mental health and this show actually came out of covid started it just before covid hit and uh, I recorded every day to to help people become, you know, a little bit more mentally tougher. How did you find that um, the franchisees and franchisors, just generally speaking, were like pulled together as a, a community or really battled? <coughs> they they did. They were wonderful. I remember one particular guy, Test and Tag franchisee from Melbourne. He he rang me up and he said, "Jim, I'm out of work, but I'm financially comfortable. Is there anybody who needs help?" And yeah. I thought that was really amazing. This is a guy who'd lost his own income. Yes. recognised that others were doing it worse. And as I said, the people who gave, they used to give her like, um, what do you call it, the home delivery menu log vouchers. Oh, yes. This poor girl, who's actually doing fantastic. And last time I heard she's turning over like $4,000 a week. She's got a great business, but that was really hard for her. 
She's yes. a lovely girl. She's a foreign student. So it was, it was, it was our most horrifying experience. The, the emotional hurt that people felt was 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 beyond belief and at the same time it was very very uplifting but you know, these things often go together rob they really do. They do you know the worst thing that ever happened to us in the whole history of jim's group it wasn't the lockdown in victoria it was when one of our franchisees in western australia mine franchisee he killed his three little girls and his wife and his mother-in-law he killed them now it wasn't the business he actually said so i have to hasten to say that it was just some inner demon yeah. And I went over to speak to the franchisees in Perth. We, we, we met at a um, golf club there. And most of the franchisees in the entire state were there. And, and I have to say, most of them didn't know this guy. Mm. But the, the mood of, of grief and, and in that room was extraordinary. And I just said to them, people, what can we do to reduce the chance of such a thing ever happening again? Not Yes. And we came up with all kinds of ideas. Um, like, for example, they said, why don't you put a fridge magnet out to every franchisee and put all the emergency health numbers on? So we did that. As soon as I got back, we did it. Have a psychologist on site. So we've now paid for a psychologist. Any franchisee who needs professional help can ring up somebody free of charge, qualified psychologist to get them counseling on the phone. We made sure all of our franchisors had mental health training. So that you know, I've gone through it myself so that you know how to deal with the franchisee. Yes. But the thing that really impressed me the most was during that meeting, somebody came up with this thing. They said, what about if, if some of us would volunteer to be mentors to the franchisees who've got problems? They don't want to talk to the franchise or there's nobody they can talk to. And we could volunteer to do it. it unpaid position. And I said, well, that's great for you to suggest that. But how many people would be prepared to put in for something of that nature? And you know what? Most of the people in that room put up their hands, most of them. Yeah. And that well, was... It, it was it was very moving. It was a horrible, horrible experience. It was so. Mm. It's really hard to to think about what happened. Yes. But the the way that these people, these wonderful people, just said, "We are a family. We're together." And bear in mind, they don't know this guy, but they just thought, "He's a fellow Jim. He's a franchisee." Yes. This is what's happened, and we want to we want to help each other. Yes. How 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 amazing is that? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. Yes. Um, and you do work and do some work with Beyond Blue as well. I saw on your on your yes, website you've done a, a couple yeah. of things with with that, which so for those internationally, Beyond Blue is um helps um it's not just men, is it? It's it's, it's anyone that's suffering from yeah, depression, yeah, mental health depression, issues, needs someone to speak yeah. with. They do wonderful work. Um mm. yeah, it's a it's a great organization. That's right. We also, my one of my daughters, actually, when I was talking about before, has a she's a she's a, involved in a charity called Friends for Good, which helps to build relationships with um, uh, between people who've got who, who are lonely, which is which is a wonderful actual charity. Yeah, that's actually, lovely. Um, they they have a helpline, and people can ring them. But they actually, when people actually get help, they they after a time they, they often recruit them to come in and be helpers. It's all it's all about building ties, building relationships. And I, I love that sort of thing. To, to me, community is incredibly important and it's more important than more you understand. The things that went wrong during COVID, you can see the damage. We had a young guy in our office, from our office, commit suicide during the last, one of the latest lockdowns. He actually killed himself. This, this young guy, he's like early 20s, just new in the IT department. 
And I spoke with his mother afterwards. She was a wonderful lady. And, and it was, and, and then you look at it too. And, you know, one of the things that she said is he was doubtful about, it. he was coming up to his six months and he didn't, he didn't know he'd have a job. And I said, he was great. Everybody loved him. Mm. I wish I'd told him that. Yes. Just let him know that he had done such a good job. He, he was just, he had, he had emotional problems, obviously, but just that thing working from home was really, really hard. It's too much. Yeah. So yeah. We, we, we try very hard to build relationships. We, we have a staff lunch on a Thursday, for example. The last part of it is people get out there and they go down to the conference center, which is just a you know, short walk across the grounds, and they eat lunch together. And then we, we have things in the evenings like games nights and quizzes and stuff. And we try and build relationships with staff. One of the things I, I really want to set up with talk with people now is to have individual counseling for all of our staff in the way that Lululemon does, where you actually talk to them about yes. not just the, the business, but also about their personal lives. And yes. we provide fresh fruit to all of our staff so that so that they they can eat healthily. And we're yes. having next month we should have a, a gymnasium. Um, finish so that so they can um work out stay healthy yeah so we, try and, we try and really look after stuff because because social relations fitness health exercise eating well these are all the all part of a great life i don't know if you know the harvard study the one they did that's been lasting 80 years looking at harvard students and trying to understand how they what's the difference between those who become happy and well and those who are sad and sick and there's some really interesting findings from that study. Um, things like exercise, proper weight, not smoking, not drinking beyond a very small amount, um, being able to cope very well with emotional problems, with crises and how yes. you approach those, constant learning, keeping your mind active and yeah. social relationships. Yes. Very consistent findings across all kinds of, of areas of life. And that's actually, that's a really powerful thing. And you look at all those areas. You see, one of the things I looked at when I was looking, reading about this just a few months back, I said, well, I'm doing really well in everything, except I'm not quite so strong on the social relationship side. I'm a bit confined to family. So I've made a point of actually inviting staff members and others and various of my kids and so forth to go out regularly to eat dinner and, and these kinds of things, just, just building social ties that people are getting on with. Yeah, I mean, and it all makes perfect sense to me. That's where I spend a lot, you know a lot of my time every day helping people become healthier. And mm. uh, it's like wealth without health is broke. Um, yeah, it's 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 meaningless. It's meaningless. Um, I a close friend of mine, his brother committed suicide. This guy was worth a hundred million dollars. He just killed himself. Can't take head. it with him. Stuffed up family. Well, he sometimes wealth can be incredibly destructive. There was this, um, again, the same daughter. She was actually, um, her fiance was doing, he was at Oxford with this guy who was um, from a very wealthy family and they'd given him a, a allowance, a really generous allowance until his eight twenties. And this guy is so messed up. He's really, really screwed up by all this too much money. He's just yes. a terrible attitude towards life and people. It, it, it's wrecked him my kids actually i mean we're obviously pretty well off but they really they look at all this stuff on the media about people with with you know fancy cars and yeah. and, and mansions and overseas holidays and here's their old dad with his 10 grand mitsubishi and shabby clothes from kmart and this guy it doesn't it doesn't fit the image of rich people yeah. but it's not there's, there's no happiness in that 
No. People think that the more money you have, it's not true. No. In, in fact, spending money on chasing status by things like expensive cars and goods is a really, it's a terrible way to spend money. Yeah. It's, it's actually a I lot agree. better to spend on experiences. But, you know, the number one best way you, I'm sure you know this, how do you create happiness with money? You give it away to a cause that you are involved with, like yes. my like my church or my or my research project. And I would give away something like 80, 90% of my actual income yes. into a cause that I passionately believed in. That's happiness for you. That's right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's like you look on social, I don't know whether you spend much time on social media, but, um, you know, I'm every time I switch my phone on, I'm like doing a post uh, myself, uh, it's head shaking the amount of, uh, lack of authenticity that you see with the way that people present themselves and standing by, you know, the car or the plane or the helicopter or whatever, making out that they live this lifestyle. But it's like no one really cares because the most successful people in the world, and like yourself, you you don't talk, you don't show that stuff. The, the ironic thing, of course, probably if I wasn't reasonably successful, nobody would want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's but the fact of the matter. The money is pretty irrelevant. Look, you know. One of the greatest men I ever knew of, I didn't even know him, but I knew a couple of his kids, was the man, you know, his best job he ever had in his whole life was to be a tram conductor. Yeah, okay. And that was his job. They lived in this little tiny house in Fairfield. There were six kids there. And this guy was very active in his local church and stuff. And, but the, the kids have turned out so well. They're absolutely brilliant. All of them, brilliant yes. children. I, I knew two of his sons. And... That to me is a successful life. Absolutely, stuff that he had no money ever. Yeah, but he was he was a successful man. Whereas you know someone like um, some of these squillionaires, like uh, what's the guy that had that huge? He left his massive um, art collection. Um, well, it was an oil Getty. Paul Getty. Oh, yeah, yeah. Paul Getty. You know, Getty. What a yeah. very awful life that guy had. What a what a waste of space. Yes, because he, all he had was money, and he, he left this overpriced art collection. That was his contribution. Now, I deeply admire Bill Gates, for example. Mm. Now, he's a great business. Yeah, the man, foundation. But yeah. he's but he's an even greater philanthropist, and he now dedicates himself his whole life to giving away the money he saved yeah, that he's saved his life. Now, that yeah. is a really great man. Yes. Yeah, I agree. Hey, I'm just conscious of our, our time. I want to be um, conscious of your time and your generosity here today. I did have a couple of uh, questions for you. So um, what would be an opportunity that you didn't take? And on looking back, you'd say, oh, I should have taken that. Well, in my kind of business, opportunity is always there. There's just so many things that I did wrong. For example, I kept on plunging. I'm very impulsive. I'll tend to dive first into things I know nothing about, make terrible mistakes, like turning my factory to make fiberglass trailers, which was <laughs> pathetic. Lost a whole lot of money. One guy was injured doing it, which is just awful. But it's, he's okay. But um, things like that. I, I tried to set up a research, a um, uh, psychology institute, which which cost a lot of money and was bad. I just didn't put. I, I, I should have got better IT head long way years ago than I have. Uh, we, would have been, we would have been so far ahead. It's just, I just plunged into so many, any, made so many mistakes, so many different ventures, mostly just being wildly impulsive and not counting the, counting the cost. As far as anything I should have done, haven't, I don't know. I mean, Rob, I've been divorced three times. I'm an impossible person to live with, obviously, though, 21 years from my <laughs> last time, so we're going all right. No divorce in sight. 
So I just don't, I don't, my whole life is one series of blunders. I am, I am frankly often flabbergasted that I've never achieved any success at all in life, but you know, God has mercy, I guess. I mean, yeah, what can but you keep, say? you keep pushing. Now I'm, I'm hoping fingers crossed that you haven't made the same mistake twice and they're different mistakes, but you just keep pushing through. Well, sometimes it's the same kind of mistake because I do tend to be very passionate. I'm extremely emotional, intense, passionate, and I just go barging into things. So it's a similar kind of mistake. I think I've learned that these days. I, I've got people around me here in my ear and say, Jimmy, should you be doing this? And I, I always think twice, think three times, take advice. So I, I hope I won't make that mistake again. But I, I've, yeah, I mean, I learn all the time. I, yeah, I read I'm a still lot. learning. I probably read two or three books a week, at least all around part. And, and I'm always learning new ideas and things. Yeah. I read the most wonderful book recently called The um, Expectation Effect, which you should read if you haven't read it. Okay. It's just amazing. It talks about the way that what you expect actually influences um, how you behave and what it means and how much your health is. It's just rephrasing things. Yes. Um, it's, it's a wonderful book. I'm going to recommend it to everybody I know. Yeah, cool. Well, you've mentioned it here. Um, so what would you say is, so what's next for you? Uh, well, now before that, what what drives you now? What is it that drives you? Because you're, you're successful. You probably don't have to work anymore, but you do because, you know, you love it. So what would you say drives you now? Well, my research foundation is the, is the, the core value, really, because okay. it, it suggests that, that it's going to seem totally, completely grandiloquent, but I think I've got good reason for it, that if you could, that changes in society and what happens in society, it reflects changes in character of individual people. And these characters are basically epigenetic. They're based on the way that people's genes are turned on or off, yes. different genes. And if you could understand that process, which within modern, with modern technologies within our grasp, you could actually change character. And therefore, if people wanted to, you could do things like you could cure poverty worldwide. You could deal with problems like drug addiction, alcoholism. Um, many forms of mental illness, they could be cured. It could change the world in a dramatic sense. Now, frankly, anything, though I love what I do in gyms and I believe in it, nothing I do in business could possibly compare with the value of the science, what that could achieve. And that, that is a major driving force. Um, apart from that, my family, I've got 10 children. I love dearly. Um, 10 children, got, wow. Yeah, I love kids. I really, yeah. really enjoy kids. I've just been out having lunch with my son, actually, which is wonderful. We've been <laughs> talking about, one of the things we're discussing is he came up with, he's an amazing kid, he's just 13. But one of the things he said, if you could have a magic power, which magic power would you want? He loves fantasy books. So we're discussing all different magic powers and how they would work. And he's oh, amazing, Aaron is wonderful. So I, I love, I love um, Bill Gates's answer to that question. Do you know what it is? Mm. Be able to read faster. Really? Yeah, which really makes sense, doesn't it? I think I like that to be able to absorb and retain more information quicker. Would well, I be said a, my number one really thing cool is to be able to read people. If I could understand how mm. good a person was, I said I'd be a billionaire in, in six months. Well, not quite. Yeah, if you could bottle it and sell it for sure. Because then I could look at somebody who wanted an employee and I find the absolute best person and do the job perfectly. I know exactly who I could trust and stuff. That would be that would be fabulous. Eternal youth would be good too. I mean, uh, I, if I could get younger and stay that way forever, I, I like that one. Power to heal, that would be good. So we, we had all these discussions and stuff. And yeah, cool. So what anyway, would you say is next then? What's next for you? There's so much going on. There's really extraordinary amount going. We've got this registered training organization, which we're just starting. 
which has amazing potential because we can actually train people to do basic tasks like fencing and, and, and pest control and stuff. And then either developers workers for our franchisees or get them to take the franchises themselves. So that's very exciting. Bring people in from overseas. There, okay. there are tens of thousands of people from other countries that would love to come to Australia. We can bring them in, give them a great business, get them started. Our success rate is very high. Um, with people like that. Is this a model that you could say, yeah, look, let's let's get franchises happening all over the US? Well, actually, funny enough, I was talking to somebody this morning about that. It's mainly, this is a guy who's got contacts and offices in the US and he's, we, we described what we wanted. We said, we don't want, we don't need fun with a lot of money. We need somebody with the right attitude and yes. give us the contacts and we'll, we'll spread in the US. It's the right people, not nothing, not, doesn't require a huge amount of cash. So that's, but going overseas would be great. Starting up new divisions would be great. Um, we've got a new um, software that we're developing for our franchisees, which would have dramatic effects, and not just for them in helping them to be more productive, look after yes. customers better. You know, if customers could book their jobs directly into the franchisee's diary, for example, ways of making sure that reduce the number of complaints. I reckon we, with software within a year, we'll be able to reduce our complaints down to 50% of what they are now. And they're already a fraction of what they used to be just by okay. redesigning the processes and giving warnings and so forth and write messages to clients and stuff. So redesign that kind of thing. There's just, there's just, there's an incredible amount of stuff going on. It's, it's just, it's amazingly exciting. I had no, yeah. you have no idea how fun business can be. I know. It I know. anything. I know. And yeah, I, I'm about to ask you um, what annoys you, but uh, I was going to say, I, when I hear people like during COVID, for instance, I would, uh, I'd be working with people and they would say how bored they are. And I felt like <laughs> reaching through Zoom and slapping them and say, how dare you? How how can you be bored? They say, oh, I'm watching, uh, yeah, watching all this stuff on Netflix. I don't even have Netflix. Um, but I think this is such an exciting and unique time that we're even now living through. There is so much opportunity and so much excitement mm. out there that you can't stop. And I'm just sorry I wasn't born a robot because I wouldn't sleep. I just keep going and going and going because there is so much to do. Yeah, oh, it's, 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 it's exciting. Life is amazingly exciting. There's just so much potential in everything. There's so many things you can do. IT's changed everything, Rob. It yeah. really has. It's, if you were in a completely static world, it'd be very difficult to progress. But yeah. when everything changes all the time, there's so many avenues, there's so many ways. And somebody who's flexible, <coughs> flexibility and, and focus and effort and ethics matters so much in terms of what you can do. Look, we've got brilliant people. And, and you mustn't think it's, it's me. I, I am the least of what goes in Jim's career. We have a, we have a young guy called Dan Carl who was a, he was a high school dropout, hopeless in school, went to work for McDonald's. A few years ago, he bought a franchise. He said getting $25,000 to buy his own franchise was the toughest thing he ever did because he had no money. Yes. A 25-year-old. By the third year, he was turning over just under a million dollars a year. He's yeah, now wow. sold his franchise. He's now one of our top franchisors. And he's probably going to, maybe if nobody else does, he'll open up the United States for it. He's an amazing guy. He's also part of our training program. He's teaching others to achieve great things. The people who started work with him are making $300,000 in their first year as franchisees, which is double yeah. the normal. Because Yeah, that's great. I mean, this is a young guy who's, who's a high school dropout. No education, as to speak of, well, beyond early high school. Yeah, I know what you mean. No tertiary degree, but he is incredible. 
He's an yeah. amazing, amazing guy. And he's, he's inspiring tens of thousands of people. He's 27 years old. And if he was living, say, 30 years ago, nowhere near the opportunity that you have now. Well, possibly not. But then again, some people who started off with me 30 years ago are doing very well. There's a young bloke, um, Andrew, who was one of my first franchisees. In fact, he bought a lawn mowing round from me before that became one of my franchisees. He became a franchisor. He launched the fencing division. He's now a multi, multi, multi-millionaire with his vast nursery and building projects all over the place. So yes. I mean, there's always the potential. One of the things people don't understand is the opportunity in the service industry. People are so tied up with you. I've got to be a lawyer. I've got to be an accountant. I've got to be some finance manager. No, get out there and start building fences and cleaning pools and doing those kinds of basic jobs because there's so little, the competition is, it's not very good, frankly. It yeah. really isn't. And you can be so, if you're even halfway moderately decent like myself at what you do, you can actually do surprisingly well. You don't have to be brilliant. Yes. You have to be. You can make all well. the stupid mistakes in the world. There is so much opportunity. It annoys me. You know, one of my, I won't say who it is. One, I've got a nephew who really, he's not academic. And his mother wants him to go to university. And I said, no. don't. Let him it's be not going to work. Come on. Yes. It's not, it's not right for him. He'll, he'll be, he could be a great, he's a lovely guy. He's a lovely young man. He's just not suited to academics. And we push too many people into that rigid guideline. You've got yeah. to go to university. You've got to get a degree. Yeah. Office Most job. education is pretty useless, frankly, after high yeah. school. It, it, all it does is give you a bit of a step up out of the opposition in terms of applying for a job. I mean, it gives really you an interview. That's about it. Yes. You learn far more on the job than you will, like, like Dan, but, but employers won't give you time of day. But most people come to gyms actually come in through different avenues, like my top managers were. You know, when I told you before about the lady who runs my, um, what we call Gyms Plus, where he gives out the, um, uh, he gives out surplus work. Now, this yes. is one amazing manager. But, you know, until I gave her a, a pay increase, a pay increase a few years ago, and she had tears in her eyes. She said, this is a woman who's about 40 at the time. She said, this is the first time anybody's ever given me a pay increase, ever. She's always only had the minimum job and she got the opportunity. She's now this phenomenal department head. She's so wonderful. She's dedicated. She's creative. She's always coming up with new ideas. The amount of potential in people that you would think would be. Yeah, quite... it's just untapped a lot of the time. Yeah. And you'd look at her and you would not know this woman was or had what she is, but she's Megan is wonderful. She's just a great, incredibly dedicated, incredibly ethical, incredibly nice staff lover endlessly creative and, and how much potential is there in the population oh, i know pigeon themselves these stupid you've yep. got to get educated you've got to do this you know the most unhappy people in the world are probably lawyers they really are yeah yeah well, i've heard a stat that something like 87 percent of people i think it's out of the us but 87 people 87 percent of people that go to their jobs each day hate them not just don't like them they hate them well, eighty-seven <laughs> percent. That only leaves thirteen percent that are showing up. That one is. That's possibly a bit exaggerated. I think most of my franchisees will probably like what they were doing. One of the things I do actually, I ring up one major man, but like when they've been 10, 15, 20 years, that kind of thing, and I talk to them about it, and and I get some wonderful, wonderful stories from those people. Now, admittedly, they're the ones that have lasted, but they basically said the same thing. This is just the best thing. I just wish I'd done it ages ago. It's been terrific. I see my kids grew up there was one there was one bloke actually i never forgot this he used to work for a um he was a managed a supermarket it was one of those independent supermarkets um okay like an iga or something like i that. think it was an iga yeah and he used to work very long hours and one day before he was going to work 
his four-year-old son. He had to be very early. His four-year-old son said, Daddy, I wish you could have breakfast with us. And he drove to work and his tears were streaming down his face, he said. He quit his job. He bought a mowing franchise. And he's seen that son grow up. He's yes. had breakfast with him every morning. Yeah, it's special. And I said, did you ever thank him for that comment? And he said, every day. Yeah. Now, he's not actually, I don't think he's actually making any more money than he was a supermarket manager. <clears throat> but what he's got he's is something happy, that's yeah. far, far more valuable, which is time with his son. And that, no matter how much money you make, you could never get that back. Yeah, that's right. Don't get back the time. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so, Jim, I, I'm conscious we could keep talking for hours here. Um, I know that you've got uh, your own podcast and a few books out there. Did you want to mention those and how people can get hold of them? Yes. Well, I've got a book called um, Surprised um, by Success, which you can you can just go, you can look at it from Amazon, actually, or you could um, go to www.gyms.net and you can see the links in there and you can get a copy and stuff. We, we give away by the bookshelf. I'll put, I'll put the links below the podcast when we, when we post yeah, it. Yeah, so. put, put a link in, just, just link to the website. Yes. If, if you go to, um, and there's a whole lot of stuff in there too about me and probably far more than ever, anybody would ever want to know. But <laughs> And you've got a podcast as well, the detail. What's that called? Well, it's kind of like, a, it's, a, it's we call it Ask Jim. And that runs on on, on Facebook on on uh, Monday nights at uh, seven o'clock for, for an hour. But you can also get the recording. Once again, if you go into the- into I'll put a link website, in for it as well. You'll see the link to meet Jim and it's all, it's all in there, all the links in there. So it's, yeah. quite, it's quite fun. I enjoy it, actually. I'll ask a question about anything. Some of the most fun ones are nothing to do with it. When somebody asked me to say, if you were in ancient Rome, which gym's division could you rest? <laughs> I, love the, I love the curly ones. So that's a bit of a... Yeah, chariot one. polishing. Jim's yeah. chariot polishing. Um, Jim, this has been absolutely illuminating to, and a great honour to, to speak with you here today. You've shared so much with the audience um really appreciate your time it's um i've learned so much about you i love your passion everything that you're doing and the support and the family and the relationships that you're building out there it's a it's a real credit to you and your team all right thank you rob good to talk to you i'll, st I'll talk to you next time see you jim <laughs> okay. all right